As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this, the first episode of 2024, we'll round up what happened while we were away, namely getting gobbled up by Wolves, soaring over the Eagles and clinging on against the Hatters. There's an FA Cup preview to enjoy as well, available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. A very happy new year to you, listener. Uh, here's a tweet I just saw from at Chelsea U pointing out that Chelsea actually picked up more points than Arsenal in the Premier League in December, which is not something that uh, we thought we would be reveling at the start of the new year, but we can revel in it indeed. Uh, plenty's happened while we're away. We're going to go through it all in the company of two of the Athletics' finest. Good morning, Simon Johnson. Good morning, and um, I'm delighted to be able to talk to you without coffee. This is probably <laughs> the first time for two months. A bold start to 2024. Luke Bosch is back with us too. Happy New Year, Luke. Happy New Year, Matt. Uh, excited to be back. Yeah, well, there's been plenty going on since we last spoke. Three games, some hand-wringing, a bit of optimism and the long overdue Unkunku. Here's a package Lucy made to sum it up for us. Then we were not clinically enough, and I think with the chances that we had in the first half, we should score and, and open the game in, in, and put the game in our side. And it goes, it's headed in! Mario Lamina! Bueno, Wang is in there, Albano Shield sets it! It had to be Doherty! It truly is a Merry Christmas Eve for the old gold! Disappointed because uh, we start uh, not so good. We concede few with some mistake. We concede few few corners and and we concede. And at the end, yes, uh, they increase the belief and we start to be tough to break down. I think we're still creating chances, but we didn't score until today. Sterling and Cuckoo. Hello. He has his first Chelsea goal. He's ghosted in. We'd like it to be in different circumstances. Producer Lucy here in the away end at Molyneux. That was absolutely rubbish. Not a merry Christmas. Goodbye. Custer played the pass behind Woodrick. It's worked out well for Nkunku. He's found Custer again. And it's Woodrick to give Chelsea. 
super lead. And they float the ball in here. It might fall kindly. What a finish that is. A brilliant finish from a brilliant player. Michael Elise. Madweke for his first Premier League goal of the season. No problem. Nani Madweke for Chelsea. They've got their lead back late on. Cool as you like from Madweke. Chelsea 2, Palace 1. It's a big moment for me. Um, first few months of the season haven't gone as well as I'd like. It's been a bit stop-start, but... This is, this is what we do it for, um, those type of moments. And yeah, no, I'm just happy that I could get the team three points in a, in a crucial moment. So the most torrid year I can remember at Stamford Bridge ends in a victory. That's 12 league wins in a row at home to Crystal Palace. Can we play you every week? I thought I heard some of the Chelsea fans singing. I'm not sure if they were singing directly to Don Fifield, but there we go. Palmer's running through for another. He's around the goalkeeper. Oh, that's brilliant composure. Outstanding composure. The one so young. The patience. Took his time and then just slotted it. And just like that, Chelsea lead 3-0. That's when I took it around the keeper. I thought the other guy was going to come and come across fast. So if I waited a second, I'd have time to put it in. Chelsea! Well, that was fun. Luton 2, Chelsea 3. Chelsea end 2023 with a rare away win. What a bizarre game. Um, we saw the best and worst of Chelsea again. They almost snatched the draw, a draw from the draws of victory here. But hey ho, this is the Chelsea roller coaster. At least they've got another win, and it's something for Pochettino to build on as we go into the new year. That's why they call him Cold Palmer, isn't it? <laughs>A nice summation being offered here by Harry, who tweeted at SO Cobham Pod to say, very frustrated viewing in every game, but the results have been somewhat positive. These were games that needed to be won. It was not pretty at all. Uh, Simon, the one that was not won was Wolves on Christmas Eve. Uh, we are going to talk about some positive stuff, but this was kind of everything that's been bad about Chelsea this season, right? No responsibility, lack of discipline, terrible defending from set pieces. Uh, it didn't set us up nicely for the Christmas schedule. And the biggest mess up of the chance of 2023 which uh, is some accolade i think if there was a a sort of a trophy ceremony for sort of to commemorate 2023 raheem sterling would be having his name sort of scratched into the trophy and rightly so because the photographs the still photograph of from the various angles of that three-on-one versus the goalkeeper. It's just, I mean, maybe it was the football equivalent of a Christmas cracker joke. <laughs> it was funny for all the wrong reasons. Because Chelsea, again, it was a bit like West Ham in some ways, sort of going back to the very start of the season, dominated the game um, for the first half, should have taken their chance, should have been comfortably ahead. And then, yes, we saw the, the defensive frailty, which... We continue to see over the Christmas period, but it was a very frustrating loss because Wolves weren't that great, but Chelsea sort of at both ends of the pitch let themselves down. But at least Nkunku, you know, is showing why they paid so much money for him scoring a goal and perhaps showing his teammates how to do it. 
Do you think, Lucas, it's a bit of a stretch on my part to say that it's obviously Sterling gets booked in this game, as does Palmer. Both of them are out for Palace. Palmer returns for Luton, but Sterling doesn't. Is that maybe a knock-on of what happened at Wolves or, or was that more due to, to Madueke's cameo against Palace, meaning that he had to start? I think you're right with the the second point there, Matt. I think Madueke's performance meant that he had to start the next game. He looked really exciting, really positive, And I think that Sterling hadn't looked great beforehand. And I think it, we've kind of seen from Pochettino, you know, in his short time as Chelsea coach that, you know, he does have favourites or certain players that he does favour that tend to play most games. But I don't think he is beholden to anyone you know, no matter their sort of first team status or, or what they've done before in their career, it's almost been like a clean slate for the majority of players. I think he he does have some players that, you know, are, are sort of guaranteed starters like Conor Gallagher and Moises Caicedo. But apart from that, particularly in the forward line, we've seen a lot of rotation and starting players who are in form. And I think that's that's good that it's it's a meritocracy almost. I think Sterling is a is a continued subject of debate, isn't he, among among the fans? Because he is having a better season than last season. And I think, actually, he was one of the better players at Wolves. But he will only be remembered for that horrific bit of selfishness. And, I mean, don't forget, it was his cross for Nkunku to score. But is he 300-plus grand a week good? And I think that is the problem that, that Raheem faces, that... He was the marquee signing of the Thomas Tuchel brief reign of the Bowley Clear Lake Consortium. Biggest owner at the club, comes from Man City, trophies galore, all that experience. So you, you demand and expect a lot more from him. And this is why I touched on it with my Luton, post-Luton piece, that Madweki coming in and finally sort of hopefully fingers crossed that he's now fully fit. I think it's a good thing for Sterling as it is for Madweki that Sterling knows he's got to to raise his game. And this is what Pochettino is, has been on about for months. And I think a lot of people have been giving him short shrift because quite rightly so in some ways that, that Chelsea have got a huge squad and even though they've got injuries that he should be able to get better results than than he has been getting but I do agree with his argument that a, a fully fit squad does raise the standard because the competition for places to get in the team should then be high and therefore it has a knock-on effect. And Sterling has started more games than any of the wide men. And now he knows that Madweki is there to, to sort of challenge for his place. And Madweki rightly um, was rewarded for his cameo against Palace and has then sort of put in a good performance at Luton as well. And, and Sterling this week, albeit... It's only Preston, but he'll know certainly this month with bigger games coming up that he, he's got to raise his game. And, and and so is Mudrick. I can't say that about Cole Palmer because his game is already raised to a level that, that we hope all the players can reach. So after Wolves uh, and in between Luton, there was the home game against Crystal Palace. We heard from Liam earlier, who was at the ground for the Athletic. It was Christopher Nkunku's first start. You can read Liam's piece on him if you go to theathletic.com slash Chelsea Pod, where you can currently sign up for only a pound a month. Other things worth mentioning from that game, Luke, I think Malo Gusto was the big story, wasn't he? Really stepping up in Reese James's absence. And and I'm sure there were questions asked of him as to why he wanted to come and be, you know, Reese James back up when he moved to Chelsea. But, well, circumstances prove that he's going to get a lot of game time anyway, but he's proved that he can be a really key contributor, whether he's right back or left back. Yeah, his performance was was really good, Matt, as you say. And he um, 
you know, he kind of laid down the gauntlet to Pochettino when he came on against Newcastle, I think it was, in, in the Carabao Cup quarterfinal, initially at left-back, and just looked looked great. And again, as Simon's talked about, that's been one of the things that Chelsea fans have been slightly frustrated by with some of Mauricio Pochettino's team selections is um, when he has selected four centre-backs, essentially, across the back line and left out the likes of, of Gusto and Ian Martin, more natural attacking full-backs. And certainly Gusto... You know, coming from Liga last year, you know, he's not missed a beat really in his young Premier League career, which is impressive given his age and relative lack of experience. And the fact that he's not necessarily like, you know, a physically imposing fullback. He's not super rapid. He's not very tall. But I think technically that's where I've been most impressed with him. His ability to kind of play those one-two passes with the sort of right-hand number eight Pochettino likes to use and whoever plays in front of him, whether it's been Madweke or Sterling and come in field as well, not just pass in field, but carry the ball in field, which I think has been dangerous. We saw, I mean, I'm I'm kind of getting all the Christmas games confused in my mind, but it was the Palace game where he came in, he made that run in from the right-hand side, ended up in the sort of left wing position. And that's where he squared it to um, Mikhailo Mudrik. And I think that just shows, you know, technical quality, as a fullback can be quite hard to come by. And I think there are still questions over some of his defending. I think aerially, I think we've seen him targeted at the back post. I believe it was the Arsenal game where he was beaten at the back post header, which is something that, that fullbacks often get targeted with. But, you know, he's a young player. He's, I think he's only 20. So there's there's plenty of time for him to kind of get more experience at that and playing alongside, you know, someone like Thiago Silva, who often occupies that right centre-back spot. And we know Thiago Silva speaks French, I think, better than he speaks English. So he'll have no problems communicating with Gusto on and off the pitch. And I think it, it really bodes well for Chelsea. You know, something they've been missing for a few seasons now is a, a very capable deputy for Rhys James. And, you know, it opens up a lot of tactical possibilities when James is fit. You know, we saw under Thomas Tuchel that James could be quite effective, especially when, you know, lacking fitness as a right centre-back in a back three. You know, having Gusto there as a, a more attacking, you know, right wing-back, that's that's certainly an option going forward. And we've seen, you know, maybe it's not the the best fit, but Gusto can play left-back pretty effectively. And, and that's that's very good news for Chelsea. Yeah, and from a personal point of view, really grateful to him um, for meaning that I could finally use the Chelsea attacking with Gusto line that I've been sitting on in commentary since the start of the season. So thanks, Mallow. A couple of other things from Palace, Simon, before we move on to your trip to Kenilworth Road. And we'll talk about him more, I suppose, in, in the Luton game as well. But how much did you love that Alfie Gilchrist cameo on his debut? And Romeo Lavia came on, made his debut and got injured again. Do we know what happened there and, and what the latest is? In terms of Lavia, it's the classic, oh, he's being assessed. First we heard of it was that Pochettino sort of said after the game, oh, he experienced some problems with his thigh. Um, perhaps an in, inevitable knock-on effect of, of not playing any football for months and, and yeah, the body sort of, uh, the knock-on effect of suddenly seeing some match action. Uh, but obviously not ideal. <laughs> you know, waited all this time for Lavia to finally make his debut he must be devastated as well that, that he's suffered this setback. And we shall see how long he's out for. Hopefully it's it's not too long because going back to that competition for places discussion, he would be sort of required in midfield, I think, especially with Chuk, we're also having some injury issues. But yeah, on a more positive note, yes, Alfie Gilchrist was 
the talking point on sort of Chelsea social media. It's just so refreshing to see a Chelsea player sort of with that kind of passion. It was what any of us on this Zoom call or anybody listening would have done on their Chelsea debut, right? <laughs> it's like, this might be the only time I play on this pitch. I'm going for it. Well, all I can say is that um, I have played a few times, as lucky sometimes as a member of the media, to be invited to play on professional pitches occasionally in some kind of game. And let's just say, I won't say where this was, but let's just say when I played my first game on a Premier League ground, I spent the first five, ten minutes running around, a bit like Alfie Gilchrist, just an absolute, except without winning the ball. I just ran around a lot and needed to be subbed because I was so shattered. And uh, I couldn't even run like that anymore, uh, five, ten minutes, let alone uh, for 90. But, but yeah, I get it. And I think that's what that's what fans want to see, sort of someone that, that you can sort of say that it's a bit of naivety and sort of running around mad, Matt. But he... I'd like to see a bit more of that from the players that have cost millions and millions of pounds and that kind of passion and sort of desire to win and and just sort of also someone that actually shouted and sort of said stuff. And um, perhaps that's, that's a little message to the powers that be that you can't just buy that, that kind of character. Because the the one thing you, you can question about the Chelsea spending, or one of the many things, but one thing that has really sprung to mind for me is that it feels like a lot of buys have been made on paper, that it's this data-led, which they themselves confess is is, is their modus operandi. It's been like a, a money ball type form of transfer policy. Oh, look at this, the, the age, potential, da-da-da-da-da, look at the statistics. But what they perhaps missed out on is buying personalities, buying characters. And and I haven't seen many characters from this bunch that they've signed. And Alfie Gilchrist is the kind of, without overhyping him, because he's got a really tough road ahead of him to sort of make it at Chelsea. But that's the kind of character you want to see from all the players, no matter how much they cost. Yeah, and he is proper Chelsea, as they say, isn't he? Been with Chelsea since uh, he was an under-11 family of Chelsea fans. So really good to see him get involved over Christmas. Uh, here's a question I'll put to you, Luke. It comes to us from Alex, who wants to know, why are there two keepers on the bench? Surely there are some academy options that will be able to impact the game more. So why does Poch deliberately handicap himself by only naming seven outfield subs? I think this is in- interesting because he's by no means the only Premier League manager who does this, right? In fact, I think more often than not, you see that that is the case. But also, he tends to be panned Pochettino for his substitutes. And, and people kind of forget, like the Crystal Palace game, where the changes probably won the match for Chelsea and are quite keen to, to criticise him. Do you think that's a result of him doing this two goalkeepers on the bench business? Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting point because... Lots of us, you know, armchair football fans, you know, I'm a big fan of the uh, Football Manager series. And we just think, oh, yeah, you know, got some first team injuries. I'll just call up my most promising youngster and put him on the bench and that'd be great. But I think the reality is, I I think Pochettino has spoken about it, is you don't want to put someone on the bench who's not ready. And, you know, you're you're doing them more harm than good if you do end up using them. And I, I like to think that Pochettino is only putting the youngsters on the bench that he believes could contribute in a meaningful way. And, you know, we've we've seen that with the discussion on Alfie Gilchrist. You know, he's, he's come in and done very well. But we saw perhaps the opposite 
early in the season, I think we've talked about it before, where Mason Burstow played and looked a little bit out of depth at Premier League level. And that perhaps, you know, I don't want to speak on his behalf, but maybe harmed his confidence, you know, maybe made people think less of him. And I think, you know, looking at that, it wasn't the right moment for him to come into the team. But Pochettino, you know, there was fan pressure and there weren't many other options in the squad. So to me, I, I don't mind it at all. Um, you know, I know that there are promising Chelsea players in the academy, but you and you also have to think about the academy teams. I know there isn't, you know, youth level football over the Christmas period, but you want those teams to do well and you want those teams to have strong squads available to them when they play in the Premier League 2 or the Under-18 Cup or whatever it is. So for me, it's not something I'm I'm too fussed by. I think Chelsea's squad depth is as it is. And, you know, nine subs in this day and age... The likes of Castledine, Matos and Gilchrist, who have been on the bench, they're realistically very, very unlikely to get minutes anyway because you then still have four or five first-team players and then two goalkeepers. So I think it's it's a really minor point and I, I don't think it's cause for too much concern. Yeah, it's not just a Poch thing either, is it? I guess you can think of Thomas Tuchel and, and his sort of reluctance with a, a Lewis Hall or a Tino Liveramento and Antonio Conte with Nathaniel Chalaber and... And the list goes on. Um, speaking of academy graduates, Simon Jordan says, I knew he'd slip up during the Christmas games. Overall happy with how December went. January is a complete coin flip, though. If we sell Gallagher, I don't see us making the top eight. Surely, surely Chelsea aren't going to sell the guy who at the moment is their captain to their biggest rivals midway through the season. Please, please tell me this is not going to happen. It might depend on whether Tottenham prepared to pay the money. As simple as that. Um Look, we've talked about the Gallagher situation before and I touched on it on my sort of transfer preview, January transfer window preview. Chelsea will listen to offers. And yeah, I actually wrote a separate piece about Gallagher, didn't I, back in December. But Chelsea will listen to offers. They are prepared to listen to offers because of profit and sustainability rules, because of um, this is the way they operate now. They are traders. Chelsea have spent an awful lot of money in the window. They might spend more money in this, this month. And there's a price to be paid. And where where do you find the best value in terms of outgoings? It's with academy players um, because it counts as pure profit. I know it's kind of like a swear word almost now amongst Chelsea supporters, but you may not like it, but you can understand it. You can understand the theory. Pochettino's made it pretty clear what he thinks about the situation. He couldn't have made it any clearer by making him captain, by starting him more than anyone. I don't think anyone has started, certainly since I wrote the piece. I think it's continued to be the case. I don't think anyone has started more games than him as an outfield player. It was between him and De Sassi. They were level at the time I, I wrote it. So we shall see, but very noticeable that whenever Pochettino is asked about Gallagher and he was asked about him again in the last few weeks, he, he goes a bit sort of coy, a bit sort of, you can tell he does, he can't say what he wants to say. And he, he says it's, it's between him and the club and with no sort of contract, it doesn't sound like there's, there's any progress on a contract. It will come down to a Mason Mount situation of, well, his contract's running out got to sell him as well. So am I saying it's going to happen this month? I can't say for sure because, again, it's whether a club meets what Chelsea want. But you cannot rule it out. 
And if he goes, it will be a significant blow to Chelsea because I'm not saying that he would get into the Chelsea teams of old, but he's certainly, as has been shown, a rightful starter in this current regime because few players are sort of matching his effort levels. And no wonder clubs like Tottenham, and they're not the only ones, are looking at the situation. 23-year-old England international, a guy with his best years ahead of him, you are going to think about it. And the thing for me, Luke, is that it's there are obviously a lot of similarities with the Mason Mount situation, but I wonder if the owners feel maybe a bit of buyer's remorse about giving Reese James that big new contract. But Conor Gallagher, touch wood, doesn't miss games, does he? You know, his, his injury record is is excellent. He's always in there. Is it, is it not, and again, this is me being very simplistic about it, but would it not make more sense to say, well, let's see if we can get 40 million quid for Ian Matson, Trevor Chalaber, and maybe even Armando Breuer combined, and then we get to keep one of our most important players. It's an easy win for the owners with supporters. Hey, look, here's a new five-year contract for this guy that everybody likes. And we go from there. Or is that me being far too simplistic? No, I, I think you're right, man. I think that that kind of thought process will will be the same in in many Chelsea fans um, this January, and it's very tricky to predict what these owners will do and and, and what their mindset is. I think you know it it sounds so easy, you know, just sell these players, sell those players, and whatever. But there was the Ian Martin, I think, came close to joining Burnley in the summer, and that move kind of fell through for whatever reason. You have to say it's difficult to say that he'd be worth as much as now as what Burnley were supposedly prepared to pay because he hasn't really established himself in, as part of the Chelsea first team as, as much as he could have. Broyer's a difficult one still coming back from injury, yet to really get a run of games and goals together. And it's difficult. I think Chelsea, the Chelsea board or other decision makers will need to sell to an extent before they can buy and it'll be whoever is the easiest sale perhaps and it, I, I, there's loads of question marks over over a bunch of these kind of squad players right now and you know I, I genuinely have no more to say than we'll see what happens all right we'll strap in listening we've got a whole month of this transfer chatter um to enjoy slash endure uh, next today though we'll look back on what happened when chelsea went to luton in their final game of the year This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, it was 70 minutes of, what, probably the most controlled performance of the season, then 20 minutes of absolute carnage. Uh, Simon, you were there. Tell us a bit about the Kenilworth Road experience, first of all, please, because it is unique in English football, I think it's fair to say. Well, it starts with um, the parking space, which is like over a mile away from the ground, which is, for once, I didn't complain about because I really needed the walk after 
uh, a week of indulgence at my my parents' place up and our Christmas treat. But the ground itself is basically in the middle of a bunch of houses. <laughs> so so it's, it's extraordinary to see an entrance to the ground with someone's house right next door, <laughs> which um, I, I bantered about with someone in the uh, the press box, actually, going, cool, you'd have to be a Luton fan to live there, surely, because otherwise your, your weekends and midweek are going to be a bit uh, miserable hearing that, being surrounded by football fans all the time. But, yeah, it's it's a very old-school ground. That's why they, they are building a new ground. It's not a Premier League ground. It's... It's not a championship ground. It's it's probably not even a League One ground. It is, but I kind of like it in the sense that it's a trip down old school road, as it were. That is until I took a visit to a toilet. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't find what was being laid on for the media because you know we're special people. We deserve our own toilet. I ended up queuing with the great unwashed, and uh, my word, what an experience that was! I'm not sure it was a toilet, actually. I think it was just something dug into a wall, and I was quite relieved to get out of there alive. But anyway, I've gone off on the tangent. Um, sorry, Luton, for complaining about your toilets. It was delightful, really. And then the game itself, it was actually really, really refreshing for me to see a 3-2 win from Chelsea in actually the press box this time, because I was there for the FA Cup game in 2022, but only for about two seconds because uh, Chelsea fans might remember that that was the night before the game kicked off that Abramovich confirmed he was selling the club and my desk quickly went, we don't really care what happens in this game, quite rightly so. It's all about Abramovich, go off and write about Abramovich. So I I went off to the really tiny Luton press room that was there at the time and just sat there and and wrote and it was very surreal because I could hear the crowd noise um, celebrating various goals and I knew when Luton was scoring and I kind of knew when Chelsea was scoring but this time I actually saw the the events unfold and it was another dramatic game a fantastic sort of entertainment but I didn't particularly enjoy the final minutes because I'd already filed my on the whistle assessment for the Athletic which included Chelsea win away at last <laughs> and, and suddenly I was having to communicate with my editor, match day editor saying, um, we may need to tinker this a little bit, including the section where I went, oh, Chelsea brilliantly defensively as well for a change. So I blame myself, actually, because the moment I typed those words, Chelsea went into meltdown mode. Yeah, but for 70 minutes, it was pretty good. Um, Luke, we, we saw Nicholas Jackson and Armando Breuer both start this game. Jackson playing, playing wide left and, and pretty effectively too, but it was all about Cole Palmer, really, right? And back from suspension. And it's sort of difficult to believe that he'd hardly played a Premier League game before this season. And and he is the fulcrum of this Chelsea side. I don't think that's an exaggeration. Yeah, it it says a lot about the kind of Manchester City talent factory, as it were, that he was just kind of chilling out on their bench, getting, you know, five, ten minutes here and there last season. And then he's come in and looks, you know, I mean, you know, if he keeps playing how he is, he's, you know, a lock to be in the England squad for Euro 2024. I know it's... You know, six months away, but it's 2024. We've got to talk about it at some point. And he's, you know, Chelsea's best and probably most important player on form. It's absolutely crazy. And I think I, you know, not ashamed to say, I, I don't, I, when the transfer went through, I thought 40 million was a hell of a lot of money and almost certainly, you know, not worth it at that stage. But I think 
Cole Palmer has proved a lot of people wrong. It's you know great recruitment from whoever orchestrated that at Chelsea, and he's taken no time to settle in. Unlike a few other players who have needed a bit more bedding in, despite the fact that they have more senior minutes, more Premier League minutes under their belt, and Luton game again was one where you know the second goal, you know that assist. You mentioned him there, but I thought. Nicholas Jackson was very, very impressive from the left-hand side and his assist for Cole Palmer's second goal was was really, really good. Something I think that's really encouraging to see and, and perhaps, you know, shows a bit where Nicholas Jackson is more comfortable. But yeah, Palmer just, he just does things with ease, I think. And that's so impressive because the things he's doing aren't easy. Um, and he's such a clean ball striker. He's such a clean dribbler. I think, you know, it, it bodes very, very well for the future. One of the things I was told um, about Cole Palmer, which um, I didn't multi-source, so that's why it's not appeared in in any athletic read, was that Man City were actually prepared or telling clubs that the asking price was £25 And then when Chelsea came along, they chanced their arm and said, oh, let's have £40 then, and Chelsea paid it. And at the time, you sort of thought, oh, could this be an example of, of Chelsea having their, well, for want of a better phrase, their pants pulled down, which perhaps they have been on other players. But no, it's unquestionably, uh, after half a season, one of the best buys, not just of, of Chelsea, um, but of the summer window, full stop. Noticeably, Jamie Carragher, in Sky Sports, um, Monday Night Football last night, um, he named him in, in the team of the year so far, which I think is a high accolade, just sort of says how much of an impact he's made. But going back to this mentality thing and buying players with personality, this again is an example of someone they have actually bought with a personality. Okay, he's not the, the shouter screamer kind of personality, but his personality is yeah, I'm going to show you what I can do on a regular basis and the confidence to express himself. And nothing sums that up more than the finish for his second goal. It was almost laughable, right? It just it, it, it kind of laconic style that he's got just walking through. People desperately trying to take the ball off him. Oh, no, just put my foot on it, roll it past you. and just put it in the net. Well, extraordinary bit of skill to beat the goalkeeper like that. I mean, I, I you know, from my brilliant career, I'm not sure... <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably fall over if I tried to sort of stud the ball over the goalkeeper like like he did, around the goalkeeper like he did. And it attracted sort of ooze from me and the other journalists sitting next to me. Um, and, of course, we're right near the Luton fans and one or two of them gave us dirty looks. Um, they obviously didn't appreciate the bit of skill as much as we did. But, no, it's phenomenal finish. And, and also, just having done that, you sort of thought, oh, OK, he's around the goalkeeper, he'll be able to slot it in. But, of course, he then had to sort of deal with Luton defenders running back at pace. And he, he dealt with that as if, yeah, whatever, I'll just sort of let you run out of my way and I'll just I'll just jink inside and, and tuck it home. And, yeah, I mean, he's one of the first names, if not the first name on the team sheet. And all credit to him and long, long may it last. It, it, he is what Chelsea fans are pinning their hopes on, isn't he? He, he feels like... like there's a lot on his shoulders because there's so much to be optimistic about when he, the ball's at his feet. Yeah, so Palmer is stick on. Noni Madweke making his case as well. Simon's post-match piece uh, focused on Madweke. Do go and check that out. So it was 3-0 up. Everything was looking good. 
And then Ross Barkley, as we knew he would, got a goal and it all got a bit nervy. Here's Tuchel with the $64,000 question. The only thing that I think needs to be addressed right now, why are we so bad at set-piece defending? Refuse to believe it's Thiago Silva. So why are all the other defenders not able to live up to the billing? Um, it's interesting, isn't it, Luke? Because you saw how rattled Chelsea got. But again, we go back to the Wolves game and the goal that they conceded there. Corners, free kicks, it, it just seems like they... They're caught in this mix between zonal or man-to-man marking. There's not that much responsibility being taken and, and some really, really needless goals are being conceded from these kind of situations. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if I knew exactly why, uh, I'd probably have a job at Chelsea. Uh, but I'll do, <laughs> I'll do my best to sort of give my, um, my novice view. But I think this is kind of the other side. This is the other side of the coin of why Pochettino, I think, has wanted to play you know, Colwell, Dezassi, Badiashili and Silva together at the same time because you just add that extra height and, and it just means that, you know, against teams that have a, a, a tall striker who's an aerial threat, you can put one of your centre-backs on him and then, you know, leave two or three of the others to mark zonally, as you alluded to there. It's really difficult because it looks, set-pieces are something that, like, everyone has an opinion on, you know, Sunday League right the way up, everyone has an opinion on what you should do at set pieces. And I think a lot of the time, aesthetically, you know, we look at set pieces and we think, why is Conor Gallagher man-marking, you know, Luton's biggest centre-back? And, you know, that's not necessarily how it works because, as you said, Matt, they, you know, teams do like to do this kind of mix of they have a smaller player kind of trying to put off the, the big aerial threats and then you leave your bigger aerial threats defensively to kind of attack the space you know wherever the ball goes but when that doesn't work it looks terrible and it has looked terrible for Chelsea on a couple of occasions but I think that's just you know we've kind of spoken about it on the podcast a lot before but it's it's one of those things that will come when players play more together you know they'll they'll understand each other's games more and you know they'll develop the kind of understanding of okay you know you know this player likes to you know, attack this space or this player is a bit more passive. So we need to compensate in this area. And it's difficult to kind of really put your finger on it. But right now it is, it is a bit of a weakness for Chelsea in a similar way that like teams like to press Chelsea quite high. They've kind of established that that is, can be a bit of a weakness. Um, so I can only hope that, you know, there's a few more hours on the training ground dedicated to defensive set piece is in the weeks going forward. The only thing I can add, because as I sort of intimated just now, I had put oh, Chelsea defensively really good as part of my piece because for until Barkley scored, they were sort of showing the kind of defensive qualities that you, we've been waiting for because we all we all knew what what was coming at Luton. I, I thought Luton were going to win before the game. My usual upbeat self. Because what are Luton really good at set pieces, what are Chelsea really bad at defending set pieces? I just felt it was a no-brainer. And until Ross Barkley scored, Chelsea had stood up to the challenge and shown all the sort of characteristics that you would hope from a Chelsea side that has been sorely lacking from a Chelsea side. But they also have this tendency to, to switch off, this lack of concentration in every single game. It happens every single match, and that's why they're not keeping clean sheets. This, How can Ross Barkley have a free header? It's extraordinary. You're not talking about a centre-back here. <laughs> He's got a free header. Thoroughly deserved it, by the way, in terms of his performance. Ross Barkley, I, I, he was one of my topics, because you're watching a guy that, that often 
bit rabbit in headlights in a Chelsea shirt, but here he was expressing his confidence in Luton's midfield and, and giving Chelsea a, a tough afternoon. But the moment that goal went in, Chelsea then just turned into nervous wrecks, as we've seen on a regular basis this season. So I think there's a lack of concentration. I think there's a lack of confidence. I also feel there's a a tendency for, for, for players to be just out-fought, out-muscled. And that is perhaps the most damning thing. Like, win your individual battles. And I don't see that enough. I, I see players sort of getting bullied by their opponents too much. But, you know, they managed to hang on. We, we should give a shout-out to Petrovic for one of the, the saves of the season. Phenomenal stop there. But I, I just couldn't believe what I was witnessing. And and I my face probably mirrored Thiago Silva's <laughs> the full-time whistle, just going, how how has this gone from a, a convincing 3-0 win to a, a very unconvincing uh, hanging on to a 3-2 victory? So, um, But at least they won the game. Yeah, everybody enjoyed uh, that footage of Thiago Silva going into the away end to um, pick out his kids and, and give them a hug after the game. I think he was actually saying, you two can play alongside me against Preston next weekend. Um, we'll see. All right, well, Chelsea got the win against Luton. That's the end of Premier League focus for a little bit. We're going to turn our attention to the FA Cup next. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And Chelsea start their campaign uh, this coming weekend. Championship side Preston come to Stamford Bridge in round three. It's the first time the pair have met since a fourth round tie at Deepdale back in 2010. We're not doing a quiz today, annoyingly. I'm just thinking that is absolutely ripe for me to ask you some questions about Preston footballers you haven't thought about in 14 years. But never mind, maybe we'll save that for next week. Uh, Luke, is the importance of the FA Cup for Chelsea this year tempered somewhat by the relative success in the Carabao? Or are we not in the position where we can be picky? No, I don't think you can really, um, Chelsea can really rest on their laurels with regards to the FA Cup. You know, obviously there's the expectation that Chelsea will get past Middlesbrough and reach the final of the Carabao Cup, but that's by no means a certainty given how well Middlesbrough have played at times over the past 18 months. I know they've lacked a bit of consistency and it's a home tie, you know, against a, a middling championship side, Preston. I think to not win and get knocked out would be really quite embarrassing for Chelsea Football Club, Mauricio Pochettino, the manager, and whichever, you know, 18 players participate in that game. So I think Chelsea have to really attack it with full force. And it's a bit of a cliche, but there's kind of, <laughs> when you're a struggling club as Chelsea, and let's not forget that Chelsea are struggling right now. I think, you know, a couple of good results over Christmas don't necessarily change that. But 
a cup run can do wonders for a fan base and for a manager's job security. And, you know, to go on a cup run, you can only beat what's put in front of you. And I'll try and think of another cliche between now and, you know, when I come to the end of this this tangent. But yeah, I think basically Chelsea, you know, have to attack this as they would any other game. Yeah, and they're playing what could generously be described as a, a very average Preston side. Only two wins in their last 10. They beat Leeds on Boxing Day, which probably kept Ryan Lowe in a job. They've lost four of their last five, beaten at home by Sheffield Wednesday uh, and then lost on New Year's Day at Sunderland. Uh, without wishing to repeat ourselves, Simon, if we're ever going to see some academy players start, surely this is the game, not least because Middlesbrough comes on the Tuesday afterwards. So you know, Alfie Gilchrist, maybe Alex Matos, maybe Leo Castledine. Would all hope slash expect to feature at some point in this match? Yeah, hope to. I, I, I don't think we can say expect because there have been opportunities before, but Pochettino has, has gone pretty strong. Yeah, I mean, if if Chelsea cruise into a, a comfortable lead, then you'd expect them to come off the bench. I'd be surprised if any of them start. I hope they do. I hope, you know, having written about Alex Matos, which, uh, you know, early plug for a read that I've done. Save you a question later, Matt. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think I'd like to see Matos given a chance. Again, we're talking about Lavia and Anuga Chikru not being around. It seemed nonsensical for me, just going back to the Luton game that Enzo Fernandez was brought on. Obviously, experience won that decision. It's the only reason for that decision. But when you're talking about a guy that's apparently carrying an injury and is also not exactly known for his ability to be involved in lots of 50-50s and aerial challenges, it just seemed an odd one to me. And perhaps that could have been an opportunity for for Matos. But like I said, I I do understand the the lack of experience factor would have been a key factor in why Pochettino didn't bring him on, even though he was, I would argue, better equipped to provide what Chelsea needed. Um, and, and we saw with Alfie Gilchrist, his decision to bring him on in those couple of appearances, even Luton winning that sort of late 50-50 tackle, sometimes just, yeah, back the youth, give them a chance, they'll, they'll, they'll prove themselves. But I, I do hope we see some of the youth against Preston, but there's part of me that sort of, just the way that Pochettino operates, I'm not convinced it will be from the start. Uh, he's not a youth, Luke, but I wonder if it's maybe worth giving Marcus Bettinelli a game here. His only other previous Chelsea appearance was in the third round against Chesterfield a couple of years ago, just in case Petrovic goes down with an injury, or is it better to just keep Petrovic's momentum going? Yeah, I think if, if Robert Sanchez hadn't picked up that injury a couple of weeks ago, this, I think, would have been Georgie Petrovic's Chelsea debut, you know, a great game, home game against a, a lower mid-championship side. But as it happens, you know, that hasn't been the case. Petrovic has come in, looked really, really good, especially claiming crosses and shot-stopping looks pretty decent as well. You know, for me, I think we're not certain how long Sanchez is going to be out for, but while Petrovic, you know, to quote a lot of managers these days, is in a good moment, I think I see no reason to kind of change that. And as Sai kind of alluded to there, I think Pochettino will probably go fairly strong in one area where Chelsea are pretty strong is is at the back with those four kind of first choice centre backs vying for positions and I think you know trying to build some chemistry between Petrovic and them you know it has has real long-term benefits so you know while it, it you know be nice maybe you know for sentimental reasons to give Bettinelli a game I personally would just stick with Petrovic. 
And actually, Simon, finally on this game, I guess you do probably make the case to start strong, don't you? Because I said there's a tight turnaround between Middlesbrough, but that's a two-legged game. So you don't need to sort of put everything into that first leg at the Riverside on Tuesday next week. Yeah, I, I don't think Chelsea do comfortable, but I, I, in, a, in an ideal world, they, 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 you bring on your bed. I, I've, I've never understood doing it the other way around, where you, you sort of start weak and then you end up bringing on your, your first teamers to because it's nil-nil with an hour gone and, and suddenly you're in a really tense game. Ideally, I think you flip it around the other way and sort of start strong, get the game won, and then you bring on bring on more of the youth. Um, that's not to say I wouldn't want one to start, I hasten to add, but I certainly wouldn't have like five youth players in, in, in the Preston game. So get the game won, then you can sort of really give youth the chance. Although having seen Chelsea almost blow a 3-0 lead, what lead is comfortable enough for Chelsea to defend these days? But yeah, this is a really good opportunity for what little momentum has been built from two successive wins to carry that on and then into the Middlesbrough game. I, I don't think Chelsea should be taking Preston lightly, but this is a. I'd like to think that Chelsea can mount two cup campaigns, not just the one. Yeah, let's hope so. It's a half five kickoff at Stamford Bridge on Saturday. We'll react to it in our next pod, which will be on Monday. We'll be back to twice a week. From them, that's just about going to do us for today. There are loads of great Chelsea stuff up on The Athletic. Now we mentioned Simon's pieces on Madueke and the briefing from the Luton game. Look out for the Alex Matos one too. Liam's written about Chelsea's 2023. I'll forgive you if you actually don't want to read that, listener. It'll be at the end was um, a little bit better than the preceding 11 months. Uh, we will be back on Monday, as I say, in between now and then. You can follow us on X at SO Cobb and Pod. And if you'd like to leave us a nice review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, that would help us as well and help other Chelsea supporters find the show. Thanks then to Luke, to Simon, to Lucy and to you for being with us. We're all set for a much better 2024 than we had 2023 in the world of Chelsea Football Club. Enjoy the games this weekend. We'll speak to you Monday. Bye for now. The Athletic.